millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. A premises in Carlow that was due to house 50 male international protection applicants will now only be used for families. The Department of Integration changed the plan just as protests were called outside the former Capuchin Friary in Carlow Town, where over 100 people gathered this evening. Tonight we ask, did the threat of local protest cause the department to change its mind? And what does this mean now for plans to house hundreds of male applicants currently without a bed? Also on the programme, a Dublin mainway is closed to the public due to antisocial behaviour. Is this the council taking action or a sign they've lost control? And with the government planning new legislation to regularise surrogacy, Pope Francis calls for a universal ban. We debate the issue. time in just a week, the Department of Integration has, following protests, announced that only families will be moved into a site earmarked to house male asylum seekers. Today, protests were called outside a former Capuchin friary in Carlow Town. We're looking at footage of it right now, where 50 male international applicants were due to arrive on Friday. Then, this afternoon, it emerged that the site was to be used to accommodate only families. We're joined by Fianna Fáil TD for Carlo Kilkenny, Jennifer Mernan O'Connor, Independent TD for Wexford, Verona Murphy, Neve MacDonald from the Hope and Courage Collective, and by Kevin Doyle, Executive Editor at the Irish Independent. We did reach out for both the Minister for Integration, Roderick O'Gorman, and the Minister for State, Joe O'Brien, but neither were available to us this evening. So, Jennifer, you're one of the local TDs in the area. What's happening there now? Um, well, as you've said, Kira, there has been the protest tonight. Um, I was made aware today from the department that uh, the Capuchins Friary, as we know it, is now going to house, before the weekend, three to four families, and then next week, another two or three families. From speaking to the department now, there has been an urgency for families to be housed. So families are now going to be housed in the Capuchins Friary in Carlow. OK, because you tweeted today off the back of the notice yesterday or late last night, I think that it was going to house 50 international applicants, which we presume to be uh, men, that you had extensive talks with the department and following those extensive talks, you can now confirm that it will be used to house families. So what were you speaking to the department about? What well, were I you think, saying to them? Well, first of all, Kira, I think is important and I, I would have said this in, in, in my tweet as well. There was, originally I got the phone call yesterday and then I would have received um, what would have been a briefing note. And in that it would just have said, look, today we have signed now 50 um, international migrants that will be coming to Carlo. And I then said, look, 
you know, we need to have more maybe consultation, information and transparency because what I felt happened yesterday in Carlo, and it seems to be happening around the country, people feel they don't know what's happening. And with that causes anxiousness, causes concern. And I would have seen, and I'm sure because of social media, and you know, while everybody has a freedom of speech and I appreciate that, but with the social medium can be a lot of misinformation. And I felt with that yesterday, a lot of misinformation came about and I think Okay, but is this concern. the department responding to that misinformation, well, I, responding to that protest? I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that because at the end of the day, from the department today, they are telling me families need this accommodation. Okay, and but that's it's a U-turn. Well, it looks it's a like turn. a U-turn. It's information that the people of Carlo needed to know. And I mean, that's the main thing. For me now, going forward, it's about telling the people, because Carlo people are good people, but they just didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what was happening, by the way. And people were saying, but you must have had. And I genuinely didn't, like other local representatives. Okay, but just be clear. You think the protests now will be stood down that now that we know that there will be families going into the area? I, Those protests would have continued if it had been male applicants? I don't know. I, to be honest, Kira, I don't know. The protests went ahead tonight. They had been told by all the local representatives because we all got the briefing note to say that families are going to go into the Capuchins, the Friary on Dublin Street. And that protest did go ahead tonight. So I just think there is the fear of the unknown with the people to know what you, is happening. Did you ask the department to change their mind on this? I asked the department for information and consultation and transparency for the people of Carlo because they needed to know what was happening. OK, just to be clear, is there any more transparency or consultation now that it is families than when it was 50 male well, applicants? Now There's not, Jennifer. But we know now it's families, Kira. Before we just knew there was 50 migrants um, going into that building. Now we know it is families. Okay, and, and what's the difference? Why are you reassured by that? But it, you know what, Kira? We're talking about human beings here now. Mm. Whether it's mixed gender, men, women, at the end of the day, today is about human beings. And we have to be very careful, I believe, and this is my own opinion. And you know, I believe, and I would have said this to the department today, we need to look at around the country mixed genders going into buildings. We are a 26 county and to put mixed genders in all over the, the country needs to be looked at. So, so you're, but, but to be clear, you're not comfortable, you appreciate that people are uncomfortable and you're not comfortable with the idea of 50 male international applicants going into that building? No, I, I didn't say that, Kira. What I'm saying is I only knew there was migrants going into uh, the Capuchin Friary. I needed to be able to tell the people of Carlo and show leadership that I am working with the department to know who is going in there. So we got it confirmed that it is families going in. Okay, just today. to be clear, were you, as a local rep, comfortable with the idea of 50 international applicants going into the Capuchin Friary? Well, I had to get information on who was going in first, Kira. Well, it was, it was so confirmed it, by the department. It was that confirmed it was. that there were, yeah. So were well, you comfortable with that? Well, well, look, once everybody was vetted, we were told that all migrants are being vetted. And that's important to say that. So I, as a public representative, Kira, I have to represent everybody. And I'm glad that there is the, the proper information given tonight that families are going in there. Okay. There is the concern when you put uh, maybe a certain amount of uh, genders all together in an area that it does cause concern, and I can understand that. But now we have it sorted, as in we know who's going into the Capuchins Friary, and I think that's important. Okay, and but where do the international applicants go? 
well, that's something that we'll have to work with the departments on. Because this is what, there's a new international, um, there's a new community engagement team now set up, you know that, within the department, which is all different mm. sectors of the department. So you have housing, you have education, um, you have uh, health. So we, we have to do our best. We have a duty of care. So I'm trying to be very balanced here, Kira, and say, look, it's important that we get out the information, that we work with everybody. We are talking about human beings here All right. and quality of life. Okay, Neve, you work with human beings and you work with communities to help with integration, to work to try and counter misinformation. This is the second U-turn by the Department of Integration yeah. in three days. Yeah. Does that concern you? Absolutely, it does. And it just shows the level of kind of misinformation and disinformation and lies that's been spread across the country. And that's become normalised over the last kind of 12 months. And we're increasingly seeing this is this um, disinformation not just being taken up or being spread by extremists or the far right, but we're starting to see an increasing number of certain local elected politicians on the ground running with this. And what we see is... Do you think Jennifer ran with this? Well, it's, it's, um, well, I think, you know, like she didn't answer the questions there, if I'm being very honest. I mean, we have to have brave, progressive political leadership right now. What we see is that this fear and disinformation and a lack of information coming from two communities where communities need engagement, they need to be seen as stakeholders, they need to be seen as collaboration, but also we need political leadership that comes So the government together. should have stood their ground and the Department of Integration should have stood its ground here? We don't here. acquiesce to hate and disinformation. We've seen when you acquiesce internationally what happens. We look across the water in the UK, you look in, in the US, you look internationally, reactionary forces coming to power and people chase them and try to acquiesce. We need brave, progressive political leadership okay. that's going to stand up to hate and disinformation and fear in our communities. Okay, but those people out protesting, they're yeah. not here, they don't have a voice this evening, yeah. but they would say, look, we are not far right. Oh, no. We have honest, mm -hmm. legitimate fears and yeah. concerns and frustrations, and we need to be able to voice those. That's Abs what it is. Absolutely, and this is where community engagement comes into play. Do you know what I mean? Or your preparation and planning. It is not new that there's a war in Ukraine, that people are seeking asylum and that the, like our state should be planning in advance and we should be able to... And the, the onus is on local politicians in advance to talk to communities, engage with communities and plan. Up and down okay. the country, communities have welcomed people and that's not talked about. We're just seeing the negativity time and time again. Okay, to a point that Jennifer made there and one you will see on social media and one I'm sure you'd hear at protests around the country, people being okay with families coming in but being uncomfortable with the idea of mm -hmm. vetted, is the word, or unvetted mm -hmm. male international applicants. Mm -hmm. Address that. Address that. Well, this is kind of misinformation that's happened. You go back to um, this lies and disinformation, you come back, you can see to UK, back to the Syrian war um, in 2015, you could see UK reactionaries and fascist forces using very same language. You go back and it was used by the military state. Um, so we can see that this, this language is nothing new and it's only appeared in like the last 12 months and, and it's been ran with and it's not being stood up to. We know that when people come into the country and um, people seeking asylum, they are vetted, they are screened. And so this is just an excuse to distract from what the real issues are and to cause hate and division in our communities. We need to focus on the real issues that are affecting communities right now. OK, do you, Verona, believe this is another U-turn from the department and do you welcome it? Well, I, I wasn't aware of what the initial uh, information was, but I think, uh, like, to be fair, Neve, I think I live in a very rural community. I'm not sure where you live. Is it Would it be an urban setting? It yes, is, it yeah. is. So, I mean... People have been contacting me all day and all day yesterday with regard to the Ballin Robe situation and what's happened in Carlow. People want 
it understood that if 50 male persons, regardless of where they were from, were landed in any part of rural Ireland on 35 euros per week, with no prospect of getting out of it, mm because there are no services that would accommodate that like there are in the urban centres. What do people think would happen? Well, what, if people well, what, have nothing I, 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 to do well, what and they is, have what no is the money assumption to being spend, made here? It's a big I, think people, I think people will make up their own minds on that because anybody in their... Based right, on what? Because, well, do you know where Hookless Village is, Kira? It's no. the furthest, most southerly point of the country. We have 300 Ukrainian refugees housed in what we would regard as a holiday village. They have been so welcomed. The people have been so good in the community. But if those people themselves want to just go and integrate and have a cup of coffee, there are no means to do that. There's no way for them to travel. We've put local links in place that are barely touch the surface of what you and I would do. I suppose do. I'm just looking for the difference here, Verona. Uh, you know, what's the difference? Those people you're saying have no services, but they've been well integrated. But 50 male applicants, that's a whole other ball game. Well, just you see... Just explain it I, for me, because I understand well, I think this it, is what people well, are saying. Well, I think people themselves understand People are expressing it. these fears. if you put 50, and in most cases it's more, it's what's been... Like in Ross Lair, for instance, it was intimated that there would be 400. In a community that has already taken in 600 between refugees and international protection applicants and very much welcomed them. Okay. So I think it's very unfair to insinuate in any realm that this is a racist carry-on. And I don't think anybody has. Well, I think from the point of view of where the media has come, all people have said to me all day is that they are being attacked, they're being called right-wing, they're being called racist. There was okay. a nursing home promised in Ross. OK, and we're going to there get to that local issue. Yeah, but Nobody I mean, on this panel, and we've been discussing this issue at length, has accused anybody of racism. The, media, you, however, in, have. the media believe, the, the people believe that that's the media. Every morning on radio, somebody is saying, you know, so you just don't want male black applicants. This is what's been levelled at them. People are saying that they want fairness, and in most rural communities, very remote communities, there is now a saturation that is affecting businesses. But you actually People said the government are trying to intimidate communities. I that was the language. Like, use the they? use of the language by using the language that they're using. Far right, fascist, racist. That's what people are coming to me and saying that they won't be intimidated by that. They want to ensure right. that their communities are able to support the applicants that they have currently without putting further pressure on services that don't exist. OK, uh, look, there are lots of accusations towards the media and towards the government. I see this narrative all of the time, that they are in a bubble and that they are not listening to or reflecting to the concerns being expressed by ordinary people around the country. Kevin. Yeah, well, the first thing I would say is um, don't for a second tell me that there are not people who are racist, racists who are not jumping on this and using these protests that are taking place all over the country and exploiting them because they exist. So they're let's not, not pretend the, they don't. The so they I may not be the people you deal with, Rona, but they sure. exist and they are a big part of what is happening in the country and in the debate at the moment. So but it, that it's wasn't not... what I said, Kevin. What I said was well, no, you said that the media are portraying this image that, to, to that the all people, these people standing the people. outside the friar in Carlo or in Ballinrobe are racist, and that is not what has been portrayed. Well, well, if you go back and listen. No, just, sorry, let, just let yeah. Kevin finish the answer because it's important. But, to, but, but to, I suppose to, to go more broadly, Kira, to your point, I, I do understand um, what the, the two politicians are saying in terms of that effect. I come from a small town in Offaly and I could understand if it was announced that 50 strangers were being brought into that town. I can understand why people would ultimately go, 
whoa, this is a big change to the dynamic mm. of the town. Now, that's a point where you have a choice. You can reach for the worst of yourself and go for the stereotypes and the tropes and all the rest of it, mm. or you can reach for the best of yourself and you can decide that, yes, the government are not handling this the way they should, but you can decide if they have to be integrated, we can step up as a community and try and do the best we can and demand and do you the think extra thing. This was happening here. People are going for the worst themselves. Sometimes they've gone for the best here. and sometimes have gone for the worst. Well, and we're talking small... a lot more about the worst at the moment but, because but we're seeing Kevin, it. Kevin, I think become... you need to really appreciate that in small communities like Rosslare Harbour, which is effectively a small community, mm. small village, there is 30% of the population. Mm in the last two years increased by international protection and I've read applicants quite a bit about and refugees. There, and they did and reach for the best so of themselves. So like if you were to put another, f and they did, mm. and they now feel that it is absolutely taking advantage to expect that they could accommodate, without any increase in services, by the way, another 400 applicants. And the reason okay. for that is, if you were to put in a normal planning application to build the 200 houses that would normally house 400 people, it would take two to three years of planning to put service you have okay. scenarios where I think what Ross Lair is perhaps a good example of something you can talk about where perhaps they are being overburdened. But, but if we, that is now happening in yes. every town where you're trying to put 50 well, actually, people around it's not, the country. Because is, we have well, loads of buildings in Dublin that are not actually is this being not used part of the where they should well. be used. Yeah. Dublin yeah. gets nobody and it's, it's all no, in local rural communities. The services are there, Kira. If you want to jump on a bus, the Darth, the Lewis, it's in Dublin. If you want to jump on a bus in Who Kid, you could wait for hours or days, I'm afraid. Or and Jennifer, that's the difference. How do you expect other small communities, small towns, across Ireland now to open you know, their doors to welcome international applicants into the town when you've seen what's happened in Ballinasnow and now in Carlow Town and it being supported by government TDs. Well, I spoke to the department today um, and I explained that. I said, look, we cannot have a situation what happened in Carlow from yesterday. And again, I would blame that there is no communication or consultation or transparency here. This wouldn't have happened tonight, I believe, if the people of Carlow knew what was happening. As sp previous speakers have said, there's huge issues with services and delays to services. So we just need to let people know what is happening. Most people are very good, Kira, And we have to be practical here too. We have a lot of good people there yeah, but the that are willing did to say, work together. I accept consultation, but communities can't have a veto. You're saying they can. No, they, they can't. Kira, what I'm saying is it's everybody working together and it's making sure that you give the proper information out. Like I said tonight, I was able to say, as was other local reps like myself, families are going in there too. They're still protesting. Whether they're protesting over that now, I'm not aware of. But as I said, if we don't let the people know that we're representing, we are leaders in our community. Okay, Niamh, you we want to come back to yeah. Just to say that, like, what's happening here is also, we have to look at the... the the fear and the disinformation that's been spread on social media. And this is going on without it. And this is the playbook of the far right in action. We see they use emotional responses to gather up fear. And when there is a lack of information and a lack of political leadership on the ground in communities, they're able to fill a void and they're able to whip up fear and disinformation. People may have questions. People may need reassurances. And that's where we need community leadership. And there is a responsibility from the government. But we also cannot... Well, we, see, we see Eamon Ryan out today being asked about this again, you know, Green Party leader, central to government, saying oh. we have international obligations, these people are of basic human rights, we must play our parts. So the leaders 
are and they must support leadership. communities. But they must support communities to play their part as well. This is a big issue. So they're playing the part. But communities need to be supported with integration. But and also, I, but also, you know, communities need to be supported to have it for everybody. There's housing. There's healthcare. There's everything. And we can't let this distract mm. us from what the real issues are. In yeah, our but communities. We, I suppose, and just, Kevin, we can't address the housing and the health issues in the short term. So what's going to happen here when the next group of international applicants go into a small town in Ireland? Yeah, well, the first thing I'd say on the services issue, which is always comes up every time this is debated, is I, I think the world over there are, are fewer people who are less burdensome on services than men in their 20s mm. um, compared to families, people with kids, all the rest. That's just a fact. So yeah, every because time if you bring a family up, into an area, they they're to going to look for school places. They're going to have greater demands on the local doctor. So this yeah. idea of services it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a bonus, isn't it? I think, if you're arguing men versus families, but that's maybe an aside thing. But in terms of, I mean, where the government go with this, I think they actually need to do a massive information campaign, because not about individual I, cases, but no. they spend money on TV ads telling you to pay your TV license. Yeah. And yet, not people here don't understand how don't the asylum system... You don't know what an asylum seeker is versus a refugee, look, for I example. Think it's really, really crucial point that so they everybody need to is missing here is, look, if you talk about 50 men being placed, mm. right, the reality is we're talking about integration. Where are they going to get jobs in Ballinrobe? Where are they going to get jobs in the furthest, most yeah. southerly tip? This, this isn't going to work. When, you, when the Taoiseach says that we can't veto. That's what we do every day through the planning system. Local government institute a county development plan that's pl based on the national planning framework that says in order to build a house in your own local okay, area, you have to have a local economic, social and housing need. Okay, but perhaps but that goes out the window for Ona Murphy not, when you have well, a think, war and you have 100,000 people so coming to the country looking for So are we now saying that we put applicants into supports. any remote rural location with no prospects of jobs, integration? Is that the answer? Is okay. that what we're actually Need. saying then. But also we have international obligations to house these people and this mm. is the biggest mobilisation of people across Europe since World War II and we're also seeing an increase in people seeking asylum. We have obligations to do that. I do agree that people need integration and supports to be in place but we can't use that to turn around and say that we pick one over the other and divide what's happening on. Either we're helping people or we're not and we take them on board. And as Kevin said, but there is a fear being generated that's used to divide communities right now and we need leadership to stand up and say, no, we will not do that. And so that's what I think is Okay, just important. very briefly, Kevin, I want to, because the backdrop of all of this is a story that we covered at the programme last night of a number of individuals being found on a, on a mm. um, ref refrigeration unit in Rosslair. Just bring me the very latest on that guard investigation. Yeah, well, the, the, there's still healthcare, the, the individuals are receiving healthcare and all the rest of it, and we've been told that their um, asylum applications, as they will be, will be will be processed as quickly as possible. In terms of the investigation, um, I gather they're trying to find out, this is now a people trafficking mm -hmm. investigation, so it's who's behind this, who did these people pay to get on that truck to come here? Um, they're looking at whether that might be a gang in Ireland, but the suspicion is, I think, at this stage is that these people did not even realise that they were coming to Ireland. So it's actually more likely that there was a gang overseas, which from the Gardaí's point of view makes this very hard to investigate or prosecute anybody for it. Um, one of the points being brought up today was that there were six crossings a couple of years ago between Rosslare and the continent. There are now 36 crossings. Evrona, it's your area. Do you expect to see an increase in cases like this? 
Well, look, this has just been highlighted. I mean, this has been going on for 20 years. Um, when I was president of the Irish Road Haulage Association, it was very prevalent, and all they really did was level fines at the hauliers. So I think... Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. There are certainly obligations abroad that need to be addressed through the Department of Foreign Affairs. I mean, these people were trafficked in France and then into Belgium. That's the likelihood based on the information of the driver's hours and his stoppages. So clearly immigration policy is not working or provisions in the port of Zeebrugge where they were on, they got on the truck or put on the truck, put on the trailer. The reality is that they were destined, they thought, for the UK because they, were, they contacted the emergency services of the UK who then alerted the Irish emergency services. When... When people who are trafficked land in Ireland, there's nothing we can do. The reality is that this is, we are an island and the ports that service this mm. country, the safest port is actually, and the most secure port is La Havre. We don't have any sailings currently from La Havre. It's Sherbrooke, Zeebrugge, they're different. But we need, as a government, to insist that other countries step up. Okay, how, how I suppose, prevalent is this, do you think, in life in Ireland? Well, I think... Um, Migration is nothing new. It's been part of human beings since the, since the dawn of time. People move and people will always move. And I think people will always find ways to move. And people will always find ways to move as well. We can't assume we know everything that's happening because it's under investigation. But what we do need is more kind of safe securities for people to move so they don't have to take those really, really terrible risks and get into traffickers. I think but we can all agree here that we, we need a safer migration policy that, if, that for everyone can get behind. All right, look, we're going to have to take a short break, but my thanks to my panel for that discussion. Up next, a laneway in Dublin was closed to the public due to consistent drug use and antisocial behaviour. We'll discuss that after the break. A 
you're very welcome back. A Dublin laneway has been closed by Dublin City Council after reports of ongoing criminal activity. Harbour Court between Marlborough Street and Lower Abbey Street on the north side of the city has been closed after councillors felt there was no other option left due to persistent open drug taking and antisocial behaviour. It comes in the wake of last year's riots which rocked the capital and filled headlines globally. Well, joining our panel this evening is Richard Guiney, the CEO of Dublin Town. Richard, you're very welcome to the programme. What does a move like this do to the perception of Dublin as a safe city to visit? Well, what I'd say is that the lane itself um, didn't really add much to the city. Um, you know, and I think if you were traversing the city, you'd much rather walk on the, the fine granite 12-metre-wide uh, foot, footpath on O'Connor Street than go through what was a back lane that was used for storing rubbish and uh, waste. Um, it was a, a location where there was, you know, very difficult behaviour, uh, it has to be said. Um, there was drug dealing, there was people using it as a toilet, etc. So... I don't think it, that particular lane uh, being taken out of circulation is, it, you know, I don't. It wasn't used by the public, um, and it was uh, it was a location where there was a lot of difficulty. So I don't think it. I don't think it being um, closed off is going to make any difference really to people who are using the city. So and do you think, think it was more of a local concern it than was very to, people, much, to yeah. local people or local businesses as opposed to something that tourists saw? Yeah, no, the, the public weren't down there at all, tourists or domestic. Um, and it was an issue for the, the businesses on, on O'Connell Street, on uh, Lower Abbey Street and on Eden Quay who backed onto it. There were, you know, there were there was difficult behaviour on it. There's no, there's no doubt about it. And I think actually, you know, gating it uh, will assist in in addressing some of the antisocial behaviour issues that we've experienced in the city. Has there been any lingering impact on the city's reputation, particularly internationally, I suppose, following the December riots or the November riots, rather? Well, the one thing I do have to say is that I think, uh, and I've said this before, I think the response uh, from government, from the council, from Falcher Aaron, from the Gardaí was exemplary. Um, and the engagement with the business community uh, was, was excellent. And I think that is a model for how we go forward, uh, being honest. I think it's, you know, when we're all on the same page, uh, um, you know, this, that expression gets bandied around a lot, but actually we were on the same page. And I think the, the bounce back was incredibly quick. The footfall re returned. The uh, feedback from the public who visited the city underlooked Christmas was very good. Uh, the, you know, and uh, sales were very good. The, the, you know, it, it, it is what we need to do. Um, you work around that area, Kevin. You know that area yeah. pretty well. I used to live Too close well. to that area. Yeah. Do you welcome this? And is blocking the laneway the answer? Well, I see why they have blocked the laneway. I don't believe it's the answer, but it's the temporary... It's the answer because they haven't done what probably needs to be done, which is, like, to me, it's giving up. If you're closing off streets only right beside our main thoroughfare in the country, we're giving up. O'Connell Street is is terrible. It's often foreseen as a, a no-go area as well. So that whole area, that street is just one element of it. You close that off, you're pushing it out into the streets around there. There's loads of lanes around there. And just you're to be right, clear, Richard, for nobody watching at home who aren't familiar, it's near the uh, Abbey Theatre. Right That's the Abbey what people Theater, might know. Yeah. And, and, and there's loads of similar little laneways and shortcuts around there. And all of them are not inviting, shall we say, to go down. You, you walk around those streets, there's feces, there's open drug taking, there's needles. Um, and it's all just accepted. Like, that's the worst part of it. 
it's all just accepted. There has, I think, been more, and this is just anecdotal myself, seeing it been more guardy since the riots around there, but it still goes on. It still continues. So I, I don't think it's the answer. I see why it's been done, but it is giving up, I think. Uh, Jennifer, we're giving up here. It's a, it's a sign that the council have lost control or the guards have lost control or society has lost control. No, I, I don't. Well, I'm not aware. I know of Abbey Street, but I'm not aware of that particular area. But I look. But I this know, was this concept of deciding the answer here is just to shut it off completely. No, and I, and I think you know we have to listen to people that live in an area, particular or representatives, or TDs, or local authorities, because at the end of the day, I think they play a huge impact on this. But I can say this, Kira, the government are totally committed to extra guardy, to commu safe community policing and I think I'm a big believer in community policing and I know that this year the government now are opening for 2024 there's going to be uh, there's money for an extra 800 to 1000 guards we need more well, that's the guards. aim isn't it I but don't know that, if they've reached well, those targets the for the last couple of years that. we have to get more guardy on the beach okay. on the street there has to be a presence go back to the old ways that played a huge part yeah. years ago and I think that is the way forward okay Neve, you're nodding your head here well I just think we need to talk about the people who live in the northeast inner city and around there and the communities that live there and the devastation that's happened since the crash of 2008. We have to be very honest that a lot of communities there haven't recovered. There's levels of deprivation. There's levels of generational deprivation there, you know. And communities, we need investment, not punishment. You know, so and do you see this as punishment? Well, invested card, it depends on what type of policing that you're talking about. Is it, and, and what we need is in, in communities in the, the northeast inner city, we really need kind of proper youth work, proper community work, proper investment. People don't see that they can't get homes. People see they can't get proper jobs. And also we need a clean community to live in. We want clean streets. We want proper amenities, proper schools, proper services. So it feels like a city that's representing us and not a city that's represented just for tourists. Okay, because, because they, we do hear time and time again what we need is more guards on the street, we, we more guards level, on the beach, yeah. more visibility. I think we need community guards mm. that are on the ground and there's a trust yeah. and there's a communication there. Not authoritarian that's going to come mm. in because that's that's going to protract the situation and going to cause further alienation. And yet that was, I think, the, the call, wasn't it? That's where the conversation was but, going after the But if the you talk to community leaders on the ground in the northeast inner city, that's not what's needed. It was about changing the style but, of policing. But they, but, yeah, but that was... Were they spoken to? Were their voices put forward? No, it wasn't. It was a debate about who's going to put in more guards. It wasn't talked about what are the actual problems that are there and what is needed. There was voices of the northeast inner city was missing from that whole debate. There was a back and forth between political parties about... Uh, um, a sense of uh, no confidence, not talking to people who actually have the solutions and not listening to communities on the ground in that area. OK, That's Verona? Sound, that sounds very much like what's happening all over the country with relation to the last topic. And you might appreciate that if there's no engagement, that's what happens. We can call so it is for our engagement. perception. No, that's my point. Yeah. If there is none. If there is none. Just and to I the bigger, was the bigger idea here, Verona, this perception of Ireland as a safe welcoming country. Is that now under threat? Well, I think that's been under threat before the riots. I think when we had that American tourist that was attacked, that was worldwide and that was seen in broad daylight, that was seen as an absolute atrocity that had a huge bearing on um, the city of Dublin. And Ireland as a whole, it was just something that was absolutely an atrocity for us, tourist-wise. I think when it comes down to community policing, it's interesting, and I know Jennifer has to represent the government, but the actual plan from the commissioner was to disband community policing. And that's part of what was going on with the old Rossitering arrangement being reintroduced. So we can't okay. have it both ways. We either have a commissioner who can lead us 
put forward in a plan for policing that includes community policing. But massaging figures of people going into Temple Moor to okay. come out as guards is not I the think that's probably either. a conversation for another night, but we will return to it. We're going to have to leave it there for now. My thanks to all of my panel, because after the break, uh, Pope Francis has called for a universal ban on surrogacy. Lawyer Annette Hickey and the Iona Institute's David Quinn will be debating the issue, so do join us. You're very welcome back. Well, earlier this week, Pope Francis called for a universal ban on the practice of surrogate motherhood. In a foreign policy address to ambassadors on Monday, the pontiff called the practice despicable and said surrogacy violated the dignity of the woman. The path to peace calls for respect for life, for every human life starting with the life of the unborn child in the mother's womb, which cannot be suppressed or turned into an object of trafficking. In this regard, I deem deplorable the practice of so-called surrogate motherhood, which represents a grave violation of the dignity of the woman and the child, based on the exploitation of situations of the mother's maternal needs. Well, as comments come as the government here prepares new legislation aimed at regulating surrogacy in Ireland. Well, joining me to debate the issue are Annette Hickey, a surrogacy lawyer, and David Quinn, head of the Iona Institute. And you're both very welcome to the programme. David, I'm going to come to you first, um, to the comments made by the Pope earlier this week. A woman's womb cannot be turned into the object of trafficking. The idea of surrogacy, he said, is deplorable. Do you agree with that language? Um, I do. He was talking, I think, about commercial surrogacy because he was talking about it in the context of trafficking. I mean, his views were actually echoed, um, or rather he's echoing the views of, for example, uh, the Children's Rights Commissioner in Ukraine itself. Um, so in 2019, he said that it is trafficking. He said it amounts to the sale of babies um, by Ukrainian women um, facilitated by surrogacy agencies in Ukraine. The Spanish High Court quite recently said it, it amounts to a form of exploitation and trafficking. Um, the Norwegian Children's And do you Minister, think the whole, the whole gambit, I suppose, of surrogacy is deplorable? I think, I, think, I think it's the commercial variety mainly because altruistic or non-commercial is different. Um, but commercial surrogacy involves essentially employing a woman usually through um, some kind of an agency um, and for the use of her womb for nine months and in exchange for money, the baby is handed over at the end of nine months. Um, so you're effectively uh, commodifying children as well. The women who come forward uh, to be surrogates um, are usually low income. Um, they talk about, now I think what the Irish government is doing is they're saying they're not going to allow commercial surrogacy, but they mm. are going to allow reasonable expenses to be paid. But that's often commercial surrogacy in disguise because for example, in Canada, um, uh, they only allow so-called reasonable expenses, but in fact, the reasonable expenses uh, average about 20,000 Canadian dollars. So that's a lot of money. Um, and in, there's something similar going on in Ukraine. Um, the average woman might get about 12,000. Okay, so I sorry, think, just but, to be clear, with, but what do you think is the answer here? Just a global ban, that's what um, the Pope uh, uh, is calling for. I mean, like in the Netherlands, they've been trying... So there's something called a Hague Convention 
that's in respect of international adoption. So to make sure no woman is coerced and no woman has been paid money to hand over her baby at the end of nine months. So I think there needs to be something similar to the Hague Convention to stop commercial surrogacy. Stop commercial surrogacy. Yeah. Okay, Annette, uh, the Pope there, he, he's speaking about surrogacy on the basis that women are exploited when they become surrogates. Can you address that? I can. I suppose um, the Pope's comments and his opinion, there's nothing new there. I mean, um, anybody, um, you know, uh, there's nobody supports uh, a practice whereby people are being exploited. Um, and that's why I think it's a, it's a complex topic. There's an awful lot of work has gone into this. And like for the last number of years, the Irish government has been working on bringing forward um, legislation which is going to prohibit um, commercial surrogacy, both domestically and internationally. So, um, and I mean, we are going to be the first country, the first jurisdiction in the world that is bringing in a pre-approval authorization process. And that's through um, the regulatory authority. Um, and that regulatory authority is going to um, be tasked with, I suppose, um, greenlisting countries where there's, um, that in the regulatory authority's opinion, there's enough of a legal regulatory framework to ensure that the best interest, the welfare of the child and of the surrogate is protected throughout. Okay, so, so the point that David made there, he said, first of all, normally it's um, women who agree to be surrogates are women of low income, and that by paying reasonable expenses, it is commercial surrogacy, he said, in disguise. Absolutely not. I mean, that is, the provisions in the legislation are very clear, and the government are very clear that it is going to be itemised, vouched expenses and reasonable expenses. So what, what would that include? That will include um, medical expenses, that will include legal um, advice for the surrogate, independent legal advice, both in the country of birth and in Ireland. That will include counselling, that will include, um, you know, what is associated and connected with um, the pregnancy. With the comment um, that um, it is always, you know, women from a poorer background, my experience working in this area for the last 10 years, there's a broad spectrum of um, countries, there's a broad spectrum of women um, who decide to be surrogates. Um, the couples that I'm supporting and working with, there is a, there is a huge growth um, in couples opting for domestic surrogacy here in Ireland, um, where it's you know, a family member, a friend, or somebody who is giving that gift. There are surrogates we are working with people pursuing surrogacy in the USA, in Canada, countries in South America, Georgia and Greece. But whatever concerns um, anybody has with regard to surrogacy, I think okay. banning and prohibiting only ensures something continues but goes underground. Regulation and legislation is absolutely the way okay, forward. Okay, so Annette is making the point here, mm -hmm. David, that actually it's going to become more strict in this country. It's going to become more difficult. We are going to be one of the first countries to bring in pre-approval for uh, surrogacy. We are actually addressing your concerns in this country by ensuring women aren't exploited. Well, I mean, like a lot of Irish couples go out to Ukraine, and I've just, I mentioned a bit earlier what the uh, Children's Rights Commissioner in Ukraine has to say about surrogacy in Ukraine. Ukraine is a deeply corrupt country. I mean, the three countries in Europe that allow commercial surrogacy are Ukraine, uh, Russia and Belarusia. That, that, that is a problem there immediately. OK, but we're and not going to be allowing... Well, that's what the legislation I, 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 says. We're yeah, not going to allow commercial yeah, surrogacy yeah, anymore. But, but, yeah. but you see, reasonable expenses, I mean, uh, so Annette talks about them being itemised. I mean, again, in Canada, I mentioned the average... Uh, paid out for, for so-called reasonable expenses, $20,000. That's a lot of money. So it can include things like rent. It, it can include things like salary foregone. Um, 
I mean, you know, to some women, twenty or thirty thousand dollars is a year's income, effectively. Um, okay. So, so do you want so, to address that, Annette? You, you, you know, these are non-trivial amounts of I mean, money. If you're, if you're talking about this, there's a different lifestyle. There's different expenses in different um, in different countries. I think commenting on the situation in Canada, our regulatory authority hasn't been established. It hasn't been set up. There's going to be two stages in this. There's going to be pre-approval before you start a surrogacy journey. If the regulatory authority deem that what you're talking about is not going to meet with their criteria, they will not give the pre-approval certificate. OK, and does um, that exist in Canada, the country that David is quoting there? No, we, this pre-approval regulatory process, though. this is why our government and our legislature is bringing in a safeguard before treatment commences, before anything occurs, there's going to be checks and balances okay. and safeguards yeah. put in place to protect okay. so we haven't, and children. We haven't seen, I suppose, what this authority has done yet, David, mm -hmm. to give them the benefit of the doubt, but it sounds mm. like they are going to to regularise this and to ensure that women aren't exploited. Um, uh, I mean, I think... There uh, are checks and balances in place here to yeah. ensure that excessive expenses aren't being paid yeah. that might be seen as an incentive in some way. I'm, I, I'm extremely doubtful as to whether that will happen because, again, if you look at the... Why? Um, Why would you be doubtful? Because if you look at the agencies in Ukraine, so the Irish government has to say, so you're going to have to use this particular surrogacy agency in Ukraine um, and, you know, it can cost 40000 to use an agency of which X amount goes to the woman. So the, so the agency is immediately getting a lot of money. So you've entered into a contract for the child. Um, the average Ukrainian so is woman... is the payment to the agency or the payment to the, the mother of the child that you have an issue with? Is the, it just the idea of money being used uh, at all? It's, 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 so the agency gets um, a considerable share of the fee. And then obviously the woman gets a considerable share of the fee as well, which runs into thousands, which in a country like Ukraine is a lot of money. Um, I was saying that um, Ukraine is riddled with corruption. I'm going to say again that the Children's Rights Commissioner of Ukraine wants to shut it okay, down Okay, but it's not just completely. Ukraine. Because it's not so, just Ukraine. So, I think well, that Irish so, women that use for Ukraine, surrogacy. If there's a commercial surrogacy regime in the country, we haven't seen the amendments to the legislation. The Irish Department of Foreign Affairs has issued advisories not to pursue surrogacy in Ukraine. But where do they want women to go then? Well, this is the situation. We're going to have a, regular, a regulated process here in Ireland. And we're, going to, we're waiting to see what countries are going to be greenlisted, like, you know, when the regulatory authority is established, how this is going to happen um, in reality. Do you uh, feel, David, that there's any safe country where somebody could see to seek a, out um, a surrogate mother? Uh, uh, not, not when fees are involved. I mean, it, like, if, you're, if, you're, if you're paying somebody a fee to have a baby for you, you have commodified... Child. So is that and your that, issue as opposed to the exploitation of women? Is it actually the idea of money being exchanged to facilitate the birth of a child? That's, that's my major problem, yes. And that's why, by the way, almost no country in Europe allows fees to change hands in return for a baby because they all consider it to be commodification of children. But we would, okay, be, we would be extremely unusual bringing, in allowing That's this. what we're bringing in Ireland. We're going to prohibit commercial surrogacy domestically. But where are couples like going to go, though? Like other countries do in Europe. Other countries in Europe then have arrangements and some countries, if you have a parent, you can establish a parental relationship but with the biological father, the mother can apply for adoption. We're talking, we're not going to do something that is different to Europe. We are, we are going to be prohibiting commercial surrogacy domestically here in I, Ireland. In, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, in name only. I mean, so if, if, if a couple can't go to Ukraine, that cuts off a major source. Um, India has uh, already banned... Uh, foreign couples going there okay, to have babies because of past scandals. Thailand has 
Georgia is about to do it. Ukraine might in the future do it because there's a law coming before Parliament. Obviously, they're extremely distracted, understandably, by the war. In America, it can cost up to 100,000. I don't see how that can be anything what about, but What about, David, surrogacy. the argument that it's up to women to have bodily autonomy to decide what they want to do with their own bodies? Well, you see, you don't let people sell their kidneys, OK? Because, because again... Um, poor people are the ones who end up doing it. So you could say bodily autonomy, I can sell my kidney for 10 or 20,000 okay. and you and don't do it. Address that, we'll just have only 30 no, seconds here. I mean, commodification children, the legislation is going to provide that there's no fee, as David is talking about, there will be no fee paid and any reimbursement of expenses will take place before the baby is born and will be, uh, cannot be refundable. Um, David is focusing on the Ukraine. There are other countries out there where Irish people are pursuing surrogacy at the moment. Which Again, ones? Uh, oh. America, Canada, Yeah, but there's 100,000 in America. Again, we are going to have a regulatory authority that is going to be statutorily have the power to greenlist countries that have a legal okay. and regulatory framework. Those are the doubtful. countries that people will be pursuing surrogacy okay. in, where Look, it will be ethical. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave that there. My thanks to Annette and to David. That's it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok. But we will be back here tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. Until then, good night and do take care. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.